And A.W. Tozer drew this distinction between the old cross and the new. And he, in writing this in the 1960s, warned that there was a trend in evangelicalism of taking the shame out of the cross, taking the pain out of the cross, and making it a, a popular, acceptable, uh, a contemporary thing. Boy, if he was with us today and saw the state of things in the Christian church, he would be highly alarmed. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. It is a great privilege to bring you the message of God's Word today. And we're turning for our main message to Romans 12. What is God's mercy? How to define it? How to get to the bedrock of the mercy of an infinite God of grace? Well, it's like uh, measuring the ocean. It's like trying to count the stars in the galaxies. They are endless. And I trust that today that God will open up his word and lead each one to a simple childlike faith in the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. Here in Romans 12, 1, we are told, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May that be true of you today as we turn to our pulpit to let the Bible speak. And firstly, we have Boaz Boon to sing, Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? My soul is Jesus. 
Romans 12:1 is the text this morning. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a call to full surrender Christianity, laying our lives upon the altar for the Lord. Now, to be a living sacrifice has to mean something. It has to mean something dramatic. The language that is given here, of course, is of the animal that was put to death. Its carcass was laid on the altar. The fire was applied, and the whole uh, existence of that beast was consumed by the fire. And the smoke that ascended was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. The apostle adopts that language and says to you and you and me as a Christian, he says, your life, your daily living is to be so consecrated, so yielded to the perfect will of God that your life will be like that smoke ascending, a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Now, we know from verse 2 that this is more than just talk because it goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. This is not just something that we talk about as Christians. It's not just a talk shop. It is going to affect our whole life, the way we live, our attitudes, our desires, our priorities, and our separation from the world and its ungodliness, that we live a life that is well-pleasing unto God. So, what does a, a fully surrendered, consecrated life look like? As I say, it has to look like something. And we can't just quote the great quotes of the heroes. I think of the words of C.T. Studd, of Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there is no sacrifice too great for me to make for him. And C.T. Studd, the missionary, no doubt, lived a life of surrender. He gave up a fortune. He was the heir of a, a multi-fortune, and he gave it all up to preach the gospel and be a missionary of the cross. And, of course, we all have our favorite hero missionaries and those who served God at great cost, and we like to quote them, we like to learn of them, but it has to filter down into my life. It has to become now my consecration and my new life. Uh, it has to affect us. Now, this is a, a very relevant uh, and up-to-date subject because uh, there is what A.W. Tozer called the old cross versus the new. And he outlined that the old cross was the cross that caused pain. And we think of the sufferings of our Savior on the tree. So if we are to take up the cross, it's going to cause us pain. The old cross was an instrument of shame. There was reproach and a stigma attached to it. And as we live the consecrated life for the Lord, there's going to be a cost in bearing the shame of being a Christian and becoming a reproach in the world. We will not become popular. We will not make friends with the wicked and the ungodly. Our lives will so rebuke and so be so different from them 
that they may, even as our Lord Jesus discovered, they hated him. And the Lord warned us that so they will hate you. And A.W. Tozer drew this distinction between the old cross and the new. And he, in writing this in the 1960s, warned that there was a trend in evangelicalism of taking the shame out of the cross, taking the pain out of the cross, and making it a, a popular, acceptable, uh, a contemporary thing. Boy, if he was with us today and saw the state of things in the Christian church, he would be highly alarmed. Now, I have in my notes here the whole article where he wrote of that. Um, I'm just going to give you the first paragraph to see where it's going. And he said, All unannounced and mostly undetected, there has come in modern times a new cross into popular evangelical circles. It's like the old cross, but different. The likenesses are superficial. The differences fundamental. From this new cross has sprung a new philosophy of the Christian life, and from that a new evangelical technique, a new type of meeting, a new kind of preaching, a new evangel evangelism employs the same language as, it, as the old, but its content is not the same, and its emphasis not as before. Now, he goes on in depth to explain all of that, and I won't take time to get into it. If you would like to read it all, I have put this article on our church website, and you can read it there. Uh, I think it's under resources, Q&A, or article section. Just do a search, A.W. Tozer, and you'll find it on our church website. Now, back to Romans 12. You will see that Paul calls us to live a Christian life that is a living sacrifice. Now, an animal sacrifice dies once. Its suffering is quick and over. But to be a living sacrifice, it is lifelong. And until the day when the Lord calls us out of this wicked world, we are in a battle against the flesh, against the world, and to surrender our everything to God every day. So what does a consecrated, surrendered life look like? Well, let me firstly lay out a few things that it doesn't look like and what we're not aiming for. Uh, firstly, it's not just subjective. It's not just feelings and emotions. Christianity is more than just a hype of emotions and ups and downs, highs and lows, fizzed up and then fizzed out uh, and, and all of that. That's not what the apostle is calling for here. Nor is it what some movements have called let go and let God, where you just become like a lump of jelly and let God mold you into whatever he wants. And you don't have to do anything. God does it all. You don't have to worry about striving, struggling, wrestling, rejecting, separating from the world. Just let go and let God, and you become just passive, and God does the work in you, and it's done. Well, I heard of a young man who went to a Keswick movement meeting, and he heard all of this, and he got all excited, and he went back to his Presbyterian minister in Scotland, and he told him, God has done it! It's over! And the old minister said to him in his Scottish brogue, it'll be a right rassle to the end. He was not buying this sudden victory that would be for 
all time. Nor is it mystical in the sense that we become some kind of super ordinary people. We're still going to eat breakfast every morning. You're still going to need to feed and clothe the body. You're still going to live in a world where there's physical, tangible things. We're not uh, some kind of super people in a super experience. And it's not just cultural. It's not just something that would be preached to Christians at Rome. What the apostle is saying here to the Romans is for them, but it's for all the church. And of course, it is for the missionary to take to whatever land God may lead him and preach. You need to live a consecrated life to God. And it's for the home church, and it's for the newest Christian. And so it's certainly not cultural, and it's not generational. It's for all ages. doesn't matter if you're uh, gray-haired like me or just a baby young Christian. The call to a surrendered, sacrificial life to God is the same. And so we rule all of those things out. So what is this experience? Uh, now, these terms are word pictures. Uh, in Christian circles, they are now what we would call bandied about and so often misused, because various branches of Christianity uses these terms of a surrendered, uh, sacrificial life and being sanctified, being holy, the second blessing, and so on. And it means different things to different people. Pentecostals, if you talk to them, what does it look like to have a, a consecrated, uh, dedicated, and uh, living a, a living sacrifice? Uh, they would say, oh, if you're in the Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. You're going to have experiences of words of knowledge. You're going to have revelations from God, and you're going to prophesy and do all of these things. And so that's what it looks like to them who are uh, Pentecostal or charismatic. New evangelicals, new Calvinists, those who fall into the contemporary type of church. Uh, just to give you an idea like John Piper, the Village Church, the Harvest Church, and all of those kind of modern contemporary ministries. To them, if, if you ask them, what does a consecrated life look like? It means redeeming the culture. It means enveloping and including the contemporary lifestyles and calling them Christian. And you Christianize everything. You Christianize the rock band. You Christianize the rap music. You Christianize uh, the uh, aboriginal ways of life. You Christianize everything. You include them in Christianity, at least give them the name and you worship God by these things. That's the in thing. And it is not certainly what the Apostle Paul was saying to these Christians at Rome. One other thing I would rule out, and that is it's not physical. Christians, whether you are a born-again Christian and indwelt by the Spirit or not, we all grow old. We go through what I think there are seven stages in life from babyhood, infancy, childhood, adolescence, young man, young woman, middle age, old age, geriatric. The Christian goes through all the aging processes uh, as anyone else. You know, if I look at you, I could probably guess your age within a few years. Um, I wouldn't, if it's a lady, I'll, I'll try to err on the right side, make sure I don't offend. But that's just the aging process. 
you know, I, I would be fooling myself if I could try and tell people I'm only 40. Uh, I would be fooling myself. And so whether you are born again, uh, living for Christ, or whether you're not, the aging physical process goes on. And as we age, we meet the physical problems of the declining of the body. And so we reject the idea that if you're a Christian, you'll never have disease. We reject the idea that you'll never have physical weakness. Uh, there are those in Christian circles and say, well, if you have a disease or if you have some physical malady, you must have sinned. And that sin is causing you, is a judgment upon you, and you're not in the blessing of God. But the reality is that you and I know the most godly of saints who fight terrible issues in the body. They are subject to disease and, 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 and loss of hearing, loss of eyesight, loss of faculties, and they are godly, earnest Christians. And sometimes through the trials they've endured, it has strengthened their faith. And God has used that affliction in their life to be uh, stronger and, and, and full of faith and giving God the glory. And they're not complaining in the midst of all their maladies, but rather they are rejoicing in the Spirit. And so when we talk here about, you know, being a consecrated, surrendered life, we're not talking about uh, some physical perf perfect body, some super body uh, that defies all of the ill health aging process and the decline uh, that every one of us uh, do face. So, what does it look like to be a consecrated, dedicated, living, sacrificed Christian? What does it mean when someone says, I have laid my life on the altar for God, and I want my life to be consumed in the service of God? What is that going to look like? Well, let me give you a little outline, and I'll only preach one of them today. Verse 1, you will need a gospel mind a gospel mind. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. And so, uh, it's a gospel mind. You are one who has received mercy. Two, verse two, it is a biblical mind, not conformed to this world, but renewed in your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's only one way to do that, and that's by conforming your life to the Bible, the Word of God. That's what a, a, a living sacrifice is, one who is living in obedience, in conformity with, in agreement with the plain commands of the Scriptures. And so if God says, I do this, I do it, no matter how hard it is, no matter how against my own agenda it might be, I consecrate myself to give up my own desires to obey God in the light of his word. Lord willing, we'll look at that in the future. The third one is verse 3, that we will need a humble mind. And Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so if we would sum up what a, a consecrated life looks like, it's going to be someone who has been to the cross, who lives by the Bible, and he's humble about it. There's a humility that is agreeable to the life of Christ, and he's not living in pride 
Indeed, he renounces all pride, and he is humble, but to think soberly according as God has dealt with him. But because today is our communion day and we have our table spread, I want us just to think of what it is to have a gospel mind. Now, the book of Romans is really the great Bible treatise on the gospel. In chapter 1, you read of how all men are depraved. In chapter 2, you learn of how the Jews are equally lost and depraved as the Gentile. In chapter 3, you, you have the inclusion that all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 really sets the premise that all are guilty, guilty before a holy God. And then arises the question, how is it possible for a guilty, condemned sinner to be reconciled and to be right with a holy God? And so begins now the gospel, the good news, that even though we are guilty and even though we be Gentiles or Jews, there is a Savior and there is salvation by the cross of the Lord Jesus. Not have I gotten, but what I receive. Grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. Only a sinner, saved by grace. Only a sinner, saved by grace. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Today we have a message on grace, just a short story that will highlight the wonders of God's marvelous, infinite, amazing grace. An old gentleman who came to our house for milk and butter once asked my mother the way of salvation. She quoted from John 3, verse 16. 
but it seemed that that was not enough. He had never had much of this world's goods or opportunities, and the realization that he had never done anything for God troubled him. Then mother said, Rue, it's by grace through faith that you are saved, not by works. A new light filled the old man's eyes. Do you believe that, he asked. I certainly do, mother replied. Then there is hope for me, even though I've never done nothing. She again reminded him of God's mercies and that Christ died for him. A few days later, he, the old fellow took desperately ill. A friendly Christian asked him, Is it well? With a smile, the feeble voice replied, By grace through faith I am ready. Don't you know that Jesus died for me? I only wish I could have lived a little longer so I could do something for him. But it's all right. Let us beware, Christians, that we don't frustrate the grace of God. For he says, Whosoever will may be saved. And that is the wonder of it. It's not by our works. It's not by our performance. It's by our recognizing our emptiness. Here's a story that wonderfully illustrates this. One day, Dr. Bernardo was approached by a dirty little ragged lad who asked him for admission to the London Orphanage. But my, but my boy, said the doctor, I do not know you. Who are you? What have you to recommend you? The lad was quick to seize his opportunity and held up before Dr. Bernardo his ragged coat. And with a confident little voice, he said, If you please, sir... I thought these here would be all I needed to recommend me. Dr. Bernardo caught him up in his arms, and you may be sure he was welcomed to the orphanage. Yes, my friend, it is not your riches nor your performance, but your rags that recommend you to God. It is your need of righteousness and spiritual clothing before God that will recommend you to the God of infinite mercy. And if you will come as an empty, ragged sinner to the cross, the Lord Jesus will save your soul, and he will save you now. Come to the cross today, my friend. Give up your pride. Give up your everything. Come as a sinner, empty, lost, hopeless. Come to Jesus as you are. If you wait till you're better, for you'll never come at all. Oh, be saved today. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. 
We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music